Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you. You are worthy of our praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. We celebrate and we praise you, Lord Jesus, tonight. We honor you as our Lord and Savior, Redeemer and King. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time in the middle of the week when we can come together just for a few moments and think about your word and think about the words of the Lord Jesus and the reminder he gives to us, this challenge he gives to us about what it looks like to be a Christian. We pray tonight, Lord, that you might help us to have minds that are enlightened and aware of your truth. May the Holy Spirit teach us tonight from the Word of God. So we bring our minds now and we give them over to you, Lord. Uh, we bring them to you captive, to your obedience. We want our minds to say yes. We do not want our minds to say no and resist. We pray that you might help us tonight, that we might truly hear what you have to say. And we thank you for another day of life. You have given us life today. You have left us here another day. I pray that we have used it to glorify you in all that we've done in our work, in our family life, in our relationships with one another. May that be true for us tonight. So, Lord, we thank you for the sweet fellowship we have around the Word of God. What a blessing. We pray for all those that are meeting all over the campus tonight, the various ministries and Bible studies and places. Bless them all tonight. And we thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, good evening to all of you. Good to see you. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. The outlines are here and also somewhere else around. And so I hope that you'll find one. It will be helpful for you to have that outline because, as I've said repeatedly, I'm not able to have you turn to all of the places I want us to look at. We're looking these days at the Lord Jesus' words uh, to the disciples, to all of us, about what it looks like to be a Christian. And these words are, are famously called the Beatitudes. These Beatitudes are a description of the Christian life. So if someone says, so what does it look like to be a Christian, well, this would be the Lord Jesus' answer. We're not certain of the time period of when these words were spoken, but obviously at the very, uh, toward the beginning of the Lord Jesus' ministry, Luke has some of these same words recorded, not quite in the same way, but uh, so uh, Matthew and Luke both record some of these very important truths. And what can I say to all of us, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? are extremely important for all of us who are followers of Jesus. We must learn these words. These are the words of our Lord. And <clears throat> as we've been learning on Sunday morning, uh, one of the great marks, one of the marks of assurance that you are saved is that you obey the Lord's commandments. Here they are. So we read together here, Matthew chapter 5. Let's go again and read through these wonderful characteristics, qualities of the Christian life. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he, <coughs> excuse me, sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word, and may the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So our focus tonight is this, that the pure in heart are blessed to see God. The pure in heart are blessed to see God. This is an astounding statement. And most of us in this room, knowing you like I do, you're very familiar with these words, but the familiarity uh, must not breed contempt. The familiarity of these words must not breed contempt or, or a lack of interest or a uh, passe attitude. These are quite astounding words. It's one thing to talk about and we can identify with being poor in spirit. It's another thing that is, you know, we know being poor in spirit is how you get to heaven. Unless you confess that you are a sinner, you'll never be saved. But then we, it's easy for us then to recognize and identify with mourning, spiritual mourning, sadness, spirit, godly sorrow <clears throat> leads to repentance. And when we're saved, the longer you walk with God, the more you see the deep sinfulness in your sin nature, and it's still with you. Paul called it the body of death. It goes with us all the way to our death. It's easy for us to identify with that. And because I'm convinced there is a progression here, because of being poor in spirit and being saved and then continuing to have spiritual sorrow, which leads us to repentance, there, there is produced in us a gentleness. Uh, some of your Bibles, a meekness, a gentleness. And these wonderful promises, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Uh, the, the gentle, <clears throat> they shall inherit the earth. And then we come to that wonderful thing about spiritual um, satisfaction and spiritual desires. When you're saved, you have your spiritual desires, listen to me, grow greater than your physical desires. This is what it means to overcome sin in our life. Some of us have such a despairing view of being saved, we forget that the Word of God says this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. You and I are made to be overcomers. We are those who, who have been created in Christ Jesus as new believers. You overcome sin in your life. I, I've said this repeatedly to this church. Uh, not because I'm old and I don't have anything else to say, but because we all need to hear it over and over again. Surely you're not dealing with the same sin issues that you started your Christian life with. Surely you've come to overcome those and now you're dealing with others and you're growing in your grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're gaining victory over sin. What did John say? An astounding statement. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. What? A Baptist says, what? Yes. You can overcome your sin. You can say no to your sin. You can crucify your flesh rather than sitting around 
crying and complaining, oh, woe is me, look how pitiful I am. I just can't get out of my sin. You can by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called victory in Jesus. It's called the Spirit-filled life. So we see here a progression. Because I eat and I, I'm filled, but I still eat, and I hunger and desire righteousness, all of a sudden these graces start to be produced in my life. And one of them is mercy. And I spent a lot of time with you last week saying, I'll say the phrase again. We do ministry because mercy sees misery. Because of the misery of the world, do I, I surely, I don't have to say to this group how miserable people are in the world today. The misery, oh, the misery, the groaning, the moaning, the dying, the hatred, the misery of the world the misery of the world produces in us mercy. Mercy sees misery and seeks to do what it can in ministry to relieve it. That's what God did for us. That's what he continues to do for us, to show us mercy in our misery. Well, then we come to this next, and this is, this is the astounding statement. I can even find some identification in hunger and thirst. I can find identification in being merciful, but pure in heart. Has the Lord Jesus raised the bar too high? Blessed are the almost pure in heart. Blessed are the ones who want to be pure in heart. Has the Lord made a mistake? When he's talking about the Christian life, how can this be? Because I know my heart, and so do you. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and know the mind to see what, are in, what is in us. Okay, I want you to grasp this tonight. I'm trying to make the point. I love you all in Jesus. My dear friends, blessed are the pure in heart, or as we've read it, God blesses the pure in heart. For they, this is amazing, for they shall see God. We have a lot of work to do on this tonight. The pure in heart are blessed to see God. That's what our Lord said. As I was speaking to one of our brothers this last week, you know, uh, how amazing, you know, these simple, powerful words of the Lord require us to spend a lot of time thinking and meditating and taking them in, don't they? This is why the Lord Jesus, he raises the bar and standard for us. Why? No wonder the, no wonder the people of his day when they heard him speak in person said, this man speaks differently than any other. He speaks with authority. He speaks with power. So tonight, I want to remind you of this wonderful promise. The pure in heart are blessed to see God. I also want you now to keep your finger here, and let's look at also the balance of this in another place. Hebrews chapter 12. This is, was not on your outline, but I want you to look there in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, because this will become a very important parallel verse for us uh, from what the Apostle Paul gives us as he's concluding or finishing this wonderful sermon. Hebrews is, is a sermon. 
And so Hebrews 12, 14, uh, we read these very important words. Uh, and, and I want us to, to just ponder for a moment on them. Pursue peace with all men. Hebrews 12, 14. I'll give you time to get there. Um, Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men. This is what we do as believers. We pursue peace. And sanctification. That is holiness. That is being set apart for God. Being a holy person. Without which, please notice the words, no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all men and, and the sanctification. That is, when we're justified and saved, then God sanctifies us. And that's what's going on in all the lives of the believers in this room and all on the planet. Right now, the Holy Spirit is working in us to sanctify us. That is, to set us apart and notice, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Again, we go back now to Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We don't think much about seeing God. So let's talk a little bit about purity for a moment. This, this interesting uh, word, which is, is actually harder to you know, so what does purity mean? What does it mean to be pure? Well, it means to be pure. Okay, well, thank you for that. But what does, pure, what does it mean to be pure? Well, let me look in the dictionary. Well, that's not a lot of help. So I've tried to work on it here a little bit for you and give you some different ways. So I'm going to start it this way. Instead of reading your paper, here I'll give you some good ways to think about it. What is purity? Pure maple syrup. None of you ever bring that by my office, but I'd take it. <laughs> Pure gold. I'd take that too. Pure silver. Pure sugar. It is this matter that these things, they're not contaminated. Purity. It is that there is, there is the pure syrup this pure maple syrup is uncontaminated by foreign substances. Purity is faultless or stainless or unmixed with sin or single or unfolded or, you know, again, this is maybe uncontaminated is a good word for us tonight. So blessed are the uncontaminated in heart. Is your heart tonight contaminated? This is at the heart of what we must understand. Purity is a grace of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you will never be pure on your own. This is not a purity that's describing uh, outer actions. This is what the problem of the Pharisees, what did the Lord say? You clean the outside of the cup. Boy, the cup looks so clean. But on the inside, filthy and nasty and dirty. This is the Lord Jesus describing inward purity. That's why he says, blessed are the pure in heart. It doesn't say blessed are the pure in their actions. It doesn't say blessed are the pure in their ways. It says blessed are the pure in heart. So we're talking about this astounding fact that we, by the help of the Holy Spirit, experience this transformation 
and the uh, removal of contaminants from our heart. We know what the heart is. We've talked about this so many times. The heart is your mind, your will, emotions, and your affections. It's your inner person. <clears throat> it's who you are on the inside that makes you what you are on the outside. It is that your demeanor comes, your actions come from what's inside of you. And so here we see this. What does James say? I've given it to you there. James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure. He goes on and says, it's peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. We saw that, I used it last week, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. But what? The wisdom that God gives to believers. Wisdom is tied to this whole matter of being saved. Part of the new birth is to have purity given to us. We are made pure. This is astounding. In the place of all of our filthiness and sinfulness and corruption because of sin and the flesh and the world and all that goes into destroy our soul, now when we're saved, there comes a washing and a cleansing in being saved, in regeneration. All of a sudden, we're regenerated, we're born again, and there in that wonderful, precious condition, we come to experience purity in heart. However, it's gospel purity. It still is mixed with some sin that remains in us. We're not perfectly pure. We all know that. Though we've all been saved in this room, talking to believers, we know this is why we mourn spiritually, because we know there are still contaminants in us. This, this whole matter of being made pure, we're being purified, is another way to describe the process of what we call sanctification. The Holy Spirit is purifying us, purifying us. So this is a wonderful, amazing truth, and the Lord Jesus is describing for us the blessing of purity in heart. Heart purity, and I've tried to define it here, heart purity is a desire. Heart purity is not just an, a, a condition, it is a desire. And that's the way I'm going to describe this, is in a verbal form. Heart purity is the desire for purity while mourning the impurities that remain in us. And heart purity is heart holiness. It's when I, in my mind, choose the things of God over the things of the flesh. I choose the ways of the Lord Jesus versus the ways of the world. This is holiness. <clears throat> I never apologize for preaching on holiness and the matter of holiness to, these, to, our, to this church, to the people of this church. It is a foundational truth. I just read it. Without holiness, no one sees God. So we are being made into the image. We are being transformed. Isn't that the way Paul said it in... Corinthians, as we study and read the Word of God and as the Holy Spirit works in our life and does the wonderful things He does because we're saved, we're being transformed. We're being transformed. Our minds are being transformed. They're being purified. Now all of this, you know, the dross is being taken off. We are, this is, oh, and you say to yourself, why am I going through what I'm going through? Because this is part of the purifying process of the Holy Spirit. This is God's way to purify us, to prepare us to see God. I must learn to embrace my pain. 
because in my pains and in my trials, I see God's purifying work in my life through the Holy Spirit. Don't run away from it. Don't fight it. Don't reject it. I was there in Hebrews 12. I just remind you, you know what it says just a few verses earlier. <clears throat> you have not, he says, um, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. I'm reading Hebrews 12. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. But all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Boy, I know that in my life and you know it in yours, don't you? Momentary sorrow, it's sadness, it's hard. But, yet to those who have been trained by, by what? By their sorrows. Those who've been trained by their sorrows, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Which is a part of this whole matter of purity. Purity comes as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. As we are filled, we are being purified. I'm trying to remind you tonight that you are still in the process. You know the old song, we used to sing it years ago. He I didn't ever sing it, but I, it was sung and I've been around it and I'd like to sing in the shower or wherever no one hears me, but he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. He's still working on me. In fact, if you're sitting by someone, turn to them right now and say, he's still working on you. Go ahead and tell them that. And if it's your wife, she'll say, of course I know that already. And so am I. I'm working on you too, right? So there you go. I want you to think about it. Purity is the process of holy making God is doing through the Holy Spirit. It is the process of sanctification. It is the pressure, it is the trials, it's the afflictions. Lord, why do you put your people through all these things? Because I am purifying you. I'm purifying you. I'm purifying, I'm making you look inside of yourself to say, is that really in there? Yes. So what are the qualities of heart purity? Well, heart purity is genuine. We read in Psalm 32 too, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, this is the quality of heart purity. There is a lack of, we, we're not deceiving. We, we've, we move ourselves beyond deceitfulness, trickery, hypocrisy. Heart purity is genuine. And it is a spirit in which there is no deceit or some of the older translations in which there is no guile. Another word, guile and deceit, same principle. Heart purity is also wholehearted. Now I want you to uh, take your Bible and go to this one. I do want you to turn to Proverbs 4. We've spent a lot of time in, in years gone by talking about this when we were working through the book of Proverbs and looking at a lot of different studies. That was, that was a, a few years ago. Uh, but I want you to go down with me to Proverbs chapter four and look again with me at verse number uh, 23. Um, 
In fact, I'd like for you to go up to verse 20 and let's just listen to these words, read these words. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them, notice, in the midst of your heart. You know, so what did we read in Psalm 119? I hide God's word in my heart. Well, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay, follow this now. For they are life to those who find them and health to their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. When we watch over our heart, verse 24, when we guard it, when we guard our heart, do you guard your heart? Do you guard, do you permit, why do we permit some of the things to enter our ears? Why do we permit some of the things to enter our eyes? Why do we permit our hearts to linger over those things which we know destroy and corrupt us? Why are we so careless with our heart? We, we guard our children and grandchildren more carefully than we do our heart. Guard your heart diligently. This is our job. This is our task. Notice, put away from you a deceitful mouth. Now it goes from heart to mouth. And put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. This is, this is, this is our method of watching our heart. These are all part of it. So first we deal with our mouth. What did James say? Good luck taming your mouth and your tongue. Good luck. He didn't say good luck, but you know the point was, it's uncontrollable. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Uh, uh, let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you and watch the path of your feet. Here, here would be a way. When was the last time you paused to think about your routine in your life? I'm talking about when you get up, what you do when you get up, Time with God or lack of time with God, how you do your day. When was the last? Well, I've got a routine. Okay, that's good. Whether you have a routine or not, you have a routine. But are you watching your routine? Is your routine leading you to uh, develop a, a, a more of a Christ likeness, or is your routine dragging you back into sinfulness? We watch our. We watch the path of our feet. We watch what we're doing. We pay attention to this. We watch the path of our feet and all your ways will be established. We do not, do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. This is a, a description of what I would call wholehearted. Heart purity is wholehearted. It's guarding all of your mind. It's, well, you know... Uh, it's the thing we've talked about before. We, we, we get rid of a lot of things that we know are horribly, terribly sinful, but there are a few of these treasured, prized, sinful desires that we seem to hold on to, these, these treasured toys of sin. And we love to deal with them, and we know they hurt us, but we don't have wholeheartedness. Heart purity is genuine and heart purity is wholehearted. 
Heart purity is clean heartedness. What was David's word in Psalm 51? His confession, his repentance after his great sin with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband, the murder of her husband. Can you imagine? I'm saying this about King David now. To remind us all that every one of us in this room as believers, still we have great capacity in our old nature that's still in us to sin greatly as a believer. We can stumble and sin greatly. David is a wonderful example. So what does he say? Create in me a clean heart. You remember, remember those early days when you first came to know Jesus Christ, how wonderful the experience of, of, of cleansing, cleansing, just the washing away, the transformation of your mind, the stains from your past you thought would never be erased are gone. They're gone. Your mind is cleansed. It's clean. It's pure. Now I know how it is with my wife and I know how it is with the other women in here. They're not appreciative of you walking into a nice clean house with filthy boots on. Why do we experience this wonderful cleansing of the Holy Spirit only to corrupt ourselves again? Purity, purity, this grace, this, this, this condition that also has in it uh, these desi- this desire is that to remain clean. To remain clean or as I said earlier, uncontaminated. Heart purity is sincere. Look at this wonderful verse. We all in this room know it. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having, look at this beautiful, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's all about cleaning up. It's all about cleaning up my soul. It's all about cleaning up my mind, cleaning up my emotions. I would truly say to you, and this is why we're spending this time on Sunday mornings about assurance, it is grievous to me to see some of our own people uh, who struggle so much with their emotions and will not permit, they refuse, this is what I was trying to talk about last week, if your heart condemns you, whatever your heart condemns you, John says, God's greater than your heart and He knows all things. And some will say, I'm not good enough. They resist the grace and cleansing and love and mercy of God. Why would we do such a thing? Come to the fountain. Come and be cleansed. Draw near to God. Draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. I'm sincerely coming to God to get cleaned up again. And I'm assured by faith that I can come And all of a sudden, what happens? My heart is sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Oh, the torture of an evil conscience. And my body is washed pure with water. I don't, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So we see here this matter of purity is tied to cleansing. 
if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what does it say, my friends? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. While He's purifying you, listen, I'm trying to give you some good news tonight. While He's purifying you through these troubles, He's cleansing you from your corruption. Hallelujah. That's enough for me to go home. But there's more. Heart purity is sin avoiding. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. When you call on the Lord, do you call on the Lord from a pure heart? You see, this is the, this is the standard. This is the condition. We must... Always seek to find ourselves in, and it's as I said to you, gospel, you know, heart purity is the desire for purity while mourning the impurity that remains in our lives. This is what we do. And because of it, we say, Lord, and all of us in this room are having our own unique afflictions and our own unique trials. I could go down the rows. I know most of you very well. Yes, and you could look at me, and I've got them too. Well, what's the Lord doing? He's purifying us. He's preparing us for heaven. He's preparing us to see God. Heart purity is sin removing. Draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. And look what, you know, James is pretty plain, isn't he? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So how do we do it? We know how to cleanse ourselves. We confess our sin. We, take, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We spiritually mourn over our sin and we remember that we are poor in spirit. We remember who we are and the natural condition of our life and we avoid sin and then we remove sin. And then again, Paul says it another way in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves. Look, I can't clean you up. You can't clean me up. Now I know, you know, at our house, our two-year-old, it takes three adults to bathe that two-year-old. Why is that? Maybe some of you have more experience giving two-year-olds, and he's a boy. You think he wants to have a bath? Like he was telling me the other day, he's already learned it. I don't know where he learned it. I'm good. No, you stink. You're horrible. You look terrible. You're filthy. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. You have a duty here. If you're saved, this is what the pure in heart do. Because when I'm saved, I say, I want to stay pure. I don't want to be dirty anymore. When you're saved, you say, I want to be pure. I want to be like Christ. So, like one old preacher said, what do you do? You go to the bath. You go to the bath. You go get cleaned up. You cleanse yourself from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Heart purity is Christ devoted. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, what a great verse. But I am afraid that, um, that the serpent has deceived, who deceived Eve by his craftiness but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. There's nothing more pure than following Jesus. It's pure. 
It's pure. There's nothing more pure than drawing near to God privately and worshiping God and reading your Bible. There's nothing more pure than devotedness to Jesus Christ. And heart purity produces a holy life. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. I was, I was saying this the other day to a 48-year-old. And the 48-year-old was kind of looking at me. I'm not youth. I said, well, you are to me. Let not anyone look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. And purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. When others see you, do they see someone who is pursuing purity? Purity. Well, what is the blessedness of heart purity? Well, God blesses the pure in heart. Psalm 73, 1. God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Oh, the goodness of God who purifies us, cleanses us, and treats us well. Even in our troubles. God purifies the heart in salvation. What a great verse. What happens when the Lord Jesus saves us? It's good news. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself. A people for his own possession, zealous for good works. As I spoke to you about the other week on Sunday morning, there's no group of people I'd rather be with than God's people. The church. Loving God's people. Because God's people are the people God's purifying. I want to be around people who are getting, being purified. I don't need to go, around by, go, go get around people again that are going to just draw me into corruption. I want to be around people who are being purified. It's wonderful to see how God's purifying them, how they're overcoming sin, how they're growing in grace and knowledge. It's a wonderful thing. You've been saved and purified as a part of the people of God. Praise God. And then let's get to this. How do we see God? Well, we see him in this world. What did Paul say in Romans 1? To the, to the wicked man or woman, the sinner who denies God, well, his invisible attributes demonstrate who he is. God is seen through creation. They're without an excuse. Look at the created order. Some of you are very close to it because you have animals and you... You grow things and you're, you know, this is how wonderful it would be. I've often thought to myself for some dear people who are so confused by strange uh, things such as evolutionary theories and all the rest. Just go be on the farm for a while. You, 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 you see it. Just go be on the farm. Everyone should have some time on the farm. So you see God, what did Moses say? Show me your glory. He had of the greatest desire of all was to see God. We see God in the created order by faith. We, we see God in history. I'm going to quote John Wesley to you again, though it's an old time way and the technology would be different now. What John Wesley used to say, I read my Bible for God to tell me what I should do and I read the newspaper to see what God is doing in the world. Okay, well, the last time you threw the changer at the TV because you were throwing a fit, God's working in history. He didn't leave, hoping that some new political leader would solve it all. Been working with some of our men 
in a Bible study. We've been reading 2 Samuel, and just, it's just bloodshed and horror and war and fighting and terrible. And you think, well, where in the world is God? Same today. God's at work in history. Do you see it? Teach your children to see it. You see, the Christian, the pure in heart, see God at work in creation, in history. How about his work in others? I could, I, I'll tell you all because I know so many of you watch you. I see God at work in you. Oh, not me. Yeah, you. I see God at work in you. Do you see God? Do you see what He's doing? Do you see His work and His ways? Well, you see the pure in heart see God. Hebrews 2.9, But we do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. But what about heaven? Let's finish it here. Why do we run to heaven? Not only to get out of here and get out of the corruption, but we're running to heaven and he's purifying us on the way through all these things we go through. That's why you all should read Pilgrim's Progress at least once a year. He was in a mess all the time, wasn't he? The pilgrim was just trying to, I'm trying to get to the celestial city. You know, mess is here, bogs here, vanity fair, all this mess, doubting castle. You know, some running partners weren't so good with him. Others were wonderful. We run to heaven. We're running to heaven so that we can see Jesus. This is so wonderful. If Jesus is just an idea to you tonight, well, it won't matter. But if you really understand what we spent a lot of time talking about, about our glorious Lord having been ascended bodily to heaven, who is now in a glorious, unbelievable, unimaginable place beyond time and space, there in a glorified body, though still showing the marks of all of the uh, terrible treatment of sinners, who is alive, if you pray and you speak with the Lord Jesus, knowing He is, you're speaking to your living high priest, Lord, Savior, King, who wouldn't want to see Him? We've had to live all these days without seeing Him with our eyes. Oh, what's heaven going to be like? What kind of gold? What kind? Who cares? Jesus is there. That's all I care about. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now you're children of God. And it has not yet appeared what we will be. I know you think you're good down here, but you have no idea what you'll be there. We can't imagine it. We know. Isn't this John's favorite phrase? We know. You see, we have the anointing of God, so we all know. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. And what did the Lord Himself say? Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, be with Me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So we close 
with this wonderful reminder, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 12. And this is Dear John the Apostle, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. The Lord says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one and I was dead and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of hell. Praise the Lord. So Paul said it well. Now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. I don't know how that will be. I don't understand how it will all work. I don't know the mechanics of it but I know the promise of it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God to the praise of the glory of His grace. Amen. The Lord is at the door. Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, bless my brothers and sisters tonight. When the fire is purifying them, when they feel the fire, when they feel the, the trial is pushing them so hard, when they feel the squeeze May they know you're purifying them. You are preparing them to be with you and to see you in full, glorious, eternal holiness because of our Lord and Savior's giving His life and saving us. Now the Holy Spirit works to make us more and more like Jesus every day. That is our great confidence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you. Have a great week. Say hello to somebody if you don't know them here tonight. Introduce yourself on the way out, and may the Lord bless you. We'll see you on Sunday, Lord willing.